want to do during this series is help people, um, is use it as an opportunity to help people understand what the Bible's about. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, and it's big as compared to other books, uh, and it can be confusing from time to time, but the Bible tells one single story. I mean, it's lots of stories within one big story that's been going on. And so one of the things that we're going to do, and this is going to be both for kids and for adults, is we're going to be sharing a video that I want you to notice how it's going to connect every week to the book of Ephesians of what we're walking through. And so this is the first week that we're going to show it. Are we able to hit the lights? That's right. Sarah Jane, thank you. The Bible's an important book. But it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality. I'm glad you liked it, yeah. You can clap for the video, it's not me who did it. It's like... um, We're going to watch that a few times over the course of this 10-week series. In the future, this is what I want you to like focus on. Listen to the number of times it says the word power and listen to the ways it talks about power. The series that we're part of in Ephesians, where it's, it's, it's one of those letters that an early church apostle named Paul wrote, is actually writing to a group of people who are trying to understand the power that is at work within them. And tonight, the thing that we're focusing on is how God's power allows us at its most fundamental to know Jesus. And so I want to, each each week during the series, we're going to have someone tell a different story, share a testimony. And so tonight, I have the privilege of inviting my wonderful wife up. Um, Yes, go mommy. That is, but we are going to let mommy speak too. No, that's nice. No, we're not chanting. Um, Yeah, so I've asked Elizabeth to just share a little bit about what some experiences from her life about knowing Jesus. Uh, I just have to say that as someone who has known her for 15 years, um, she knows Jesus better than almost anyone I've ever met and has a heart that longs to know Jesus. Um, She does not know Jesus perfectly um, at all. Um, And she would certainly say the same thing about me. Thank you. but there is, there is this beautiful thing that God has given her to chase after him and to know him. And so, would you give my wife a really big hand tonight? Um, do y'all want to hear something funny? So, I picked up this large gathering service order. And this has my testimony starting at 4.52, lasting zero minutes and ending at 4.52. Um, sucker. Anyone who's... <laughs> Anyone who's ever met me knows that I've never done anything in under a minute, Um, but I will try to be fast. Uh, So funnily, last night, Doug asked if I could share a testimony, and I said, sure, like, I love talking about what God is doing. I'm an evangelist, so what do you want the testimony to be about? And he said, I want you to share a testimony about how life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. And I was like, okay, could you give me some more detail? (laughs) And he just like said the same thing, that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. Um, And I spent some time thinking about it. And uh, the zero minute version of that would be the video we just watched. Like you see the, the city on the 
my left, uh, in the city on the right. And you're like, yeah, every day, all day, every day. There's the road to destruction and for Pilgrim's Progress lovers, like the road to the celestial city. And I don't know about you, but my decisions lead down the wrong path, like every day of the week. Um, so that's the zero minute version, but I was trying to think of a, you know, maybe a two or three minute version. Um, and so I'll just share the, the one that came to mind. Um, so my mom grew up Catholic, uh, and she like went to Catholic schools. She wanted to be a nun, like the whole nine. And she said that, um, when I was growing up, she told us that the nuns would always teach her when they saw someone unfortunate in any manner of ways. It could be unfortunate, uh, because of something they could not control, unfortunate because of decisions they had made. They would say to themselves, by the grace of God, there go I. And that has always stuck with me. Like I see people, eight times a day, 12 times a day, um, that are a hot mess in any manner of ways. And I'm a hot mess in any manner of ways. So that's, that's no judgment. And all I could think is like, by the grace of God, there go I. That's exactly what I would be doing if I didn't know the Lord. Um, yeah, so that's the fast one. But I, I would say that the kind of core moment when Doug was coaching me a little bit, I was like, can I at least know what the sermon's about? Um, was about life with Jesus, not just being saved by the Lord, but actually like knowing the Lord personally, walking with the Lord. Um, and I would say for me, the thing that came to mind was like a really pivotal moment when that shifted. So really quickly, there's a, a story in Mark um, where Jesus is baptized. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story, um, but it's basically Jesus's like first day of work. He has not preached his first sermon. He has not healed his first person. He has raised no one from the dead. Um, he has not gathered a tribe. He's not famous. It's his first day of work. And he shows up to be baptized in the sky's part. And the Lord says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Those who like to laugh at the fact that when I read or talk about the Bible, I cry every time, which is why I'm not reading it. But he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Um, this is my son. Like he starts with his identity and then he affirms who he is before he ever goes and produces anything in the world. And I am someone who is like wired to find my identity through what I do, like through what I accomplish, through what I get done. Um, yeah, through the way that I spend my time. And for many, many years, even after I became a follower of Jesus, the Lord would convict me about that. And I would try, like in my own strength, to be like, okay, I'm not going to find my identity in the way I look or where I got into college or the job that I have or the friends I hang out with, or the relationship I'm in. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. But I didn't really know, like, what that looks like or how to do that. And so the most natural thing in the world for me um, was to find my identity in the work that I did for the Father and not by spending my life with the Father. Like, I was so caught up in, like, the work of the kingdom that it was easy for me to miss out on, like, the person of the king. And because I am very, very stubborn and thick-headed, um, I went through, like, a dramatic season. Some of y'all have heard this story where, like, the Lord asked me to put some stuff on the altar um, and then kind of systematically, like, stripped away, like, all the things that I thought I was. Like, the Lord stripped away the job that I loved and the city that I loved. And Doug was gone a lot at the time. Um, and my children, those little noisy cherubs who climbed me like a like a jungle gym during worship, um, had kind of like stripped away, like some of the kind of core, what it looks like to take a shower in the morning, uh, parts of being a human woman. 
Um, and I just had this point where I remember, I remember exactly where I was, you know, when you have those like crazy God moments and you can remember years later exactly where you were. I was like walking into my house. I think I had like a baby in my stomach, a child on my hip, a child in my hand and like probably 25 grocery bags. And I was like talking to the Lord and I was like, I am like nothing anymore. Like, I feel like a human Kleenex. I don't know who I am. And the Lord said, you are mine. Like, I heard him like audibly say, you are mine. Like, that is who you are. Um, and that's what comes like, not even from like a great sermon, but like from the voice of the father. And so now I can say, like, life is better with Jesus because when all those things go away, like, I know that I'm a beloved child of the Most High God. Um, And from that, I'll just go be a hot mess and hope that he loves me anyway. So with that as, like, a piece of, like, our emotional thread... Um, going into the text, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, we, have, we have kids in the service today, I don't know if you've noticed. And so I am, I am doing my best to make the sermon both kid-appropriate, um, as well as kid-friendly in length, while not skipping over some like significant meat in the text. And thinking about this, I was, I was thinking about what Peter says um, and he talks about how many people, um, because of like their spiritual maturity, the thing that it is that they need more than anything is milk and not solid food. Um, because people who need milk are the people who just hear the word and hear the word and hear the word, but don't do much with it. The people who are, who are ready for meat are the people who hear the word, digest the word, and do what the word says. I say that to say that it is entirely possible tonight that a child will be able to be more mature in dealing with the word tonight than you who might be an adult. And so we all have the opportunity to hear the word of God tonight. And so what it is that I'm going to do is I am going to, I'm going to work through the text, uh, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, pretty quickly. And then I'm going to end with a story. Um, we have house churches that are going to be going in depth. Every single house church will be going more in depth on this specific text this week. If you're not in a house church, we would love for you to be in a house church. There's a thing in the back that kind of hurt my hand. Uh, there's, a, there's a table in the back where you can sign up. Um, but if you will, if you're physically able, I want to encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight. This is Ephesians 1. Verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed him above all things 
excuse me, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would we be open to receiving your love tonight? We ask that the words, even in these, these short moments together, would be kingdom seed that finds good soil. Lord, would you water those seeds in our heart tonight? We pray these things in your name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to go from the back of the verse, or the back of the passage, and we're going to make our way forward. There is a method to the madness, I promise you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start with verses 19 through 23, and we're going to spend just a teeny bit of time there. Then we're going to go to verse 18. We're going to spend more time there. And then verse 17 is we're going to spend the majority of our time. And I'm going to end with a story. So let's pick up in verse 19. We're just going to read that piece of the passage again. Uh, if I can find it. Verse 19. His an incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same As the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and over every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna pull one thing from this verse, it's gonna it, you're gonna want to go to verse twenty and just pull it out, and it's this: the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you. So last week, this is what Aaron said. She said, the gospel is for you and the gospel is for me. What we're talking about in this passage is the effects of the gospel. So what happens when someone is raised from spiritual death and is raised to life? What happens? The Holy Spirit enters into that person. And so Paul's like, I don't, like, this is really, really, like, this is gigantic. Like, how do we, how do we help people understand How do we help this church in Ephesus understand how big this power is that's inside of them? Like, it's not possible for us to fully understand this work, this power that's inside of us. And so what I've tried to do is to help us get, like, a little glimpse of what this could look like. If we can go to the picture that's up there. Okay. Can I have some kids? Can we take a guess as to what that is? Can I get a hand raised? Yes, I see you there. Say it into the mic. A candle. We have a candle. Other guesses. A candle on the earth. A candle on the earth. (laughs) Avery, do you know what it is? Did I tell you what it was? We're going to come back to you. (laughs) I don't want you to spoil it, just in case. We will come back. Other guesses. Yes, I see you over there. A match. We hear a match. You have a guess? A ship. A what? A ship. A ship. What kind of ship? A spaceship. It is a spaceship. It is a spaceship. This is this is a picture of a shuttle 
that was taken by a telescope eons away. And what you're seeing is, I want you to imagine that you are right next to a spaceship, and I want you to imagine the power that it takes to shoot a space shuttle up into the sky and what it would do to you if you were right beside it. And yet, from a couple of eons away, what does it look like? We don't even know what it looks like. And yet, the power that is inside of you is the power that is above every name, is the power that is above every dominion, every ruler, every authority, is the power over death itself. It is in you. We can't wrap our minds around the power that is inside of you. This is like a very, very poor description of what that power would look like. If you can imagine a space shuttle shooting up, like in the power, like it is nothing. It is infinitesimal compared to the power that Jesus has. And everything for the present age and the age to come is situated under Jesus. And his power is in you. It's in you. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. This is one of these verses that's a little bit challenging because in the language that Paul was writing, it's an ancient language, which means it's a language that isn't written or spoken anymore. Some of the ways in which it's written is a little bit different. It's harder to translate because we don't have... Um, the different tenses that they write with and would and kind of like meld together. So what I'm going to try to do is read you a little bit about what Paul is saying here, kind of pulling out the ancient writing, and it sounds more like this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, staying in the enlightened state because of the Holy Spirit, would help you know the hope that your calling produces and understand the wealth that is found in the saints. Let me read that again. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, staying in an enlightened state because of the Holy Spirit, would know, would help you know the hope that your calling produces and understand the wealth that is found in the saints. So there are two big things to pull out of, out of this verse. You can know your calling. And we're going to talk about this next week, about your very unique calling. A dream that God has had for your life that he has had for no one else and he has refused to give up on. And that that calling that you have on your life would produce hope. And the reason that it would produce hope is because it says this, you have been created for a reason. Your existence actually matters. But there's something else that that he talks about here and it would be really, really easy to miss. And it's this idea that you're going to get an early inheritance. See, if you have been found in Jesus, you have been adopted as a kid of the king. And so there is going to be a day in heaven where you're going to get the fullness of your inheritance as a child of God, the king of the universe. Like that is what is promised you. But part of the good news is that you get to experience a piece of that right now. Like right now, you don't have to wait for the fullness of that. And there's this, there's this amazing thing where like when you are found in Jesus, your spirit does not die and God's spirit doesn't die. And so what you end up getting is an early inheritance. And this is what it is that God promises. A big chunk of your inheritance, both now and in the future, is the church. That doesn't sound like good news to a lot of us. 
the, the, the promised inheritance that we experience now and in fullness into the future. Look what it says here. In verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Part, a big chunk of your inheritance is the church. And the problem for a lot of us is that is not, that is not only not good news, it's not even mediocre news, it's news that we would rather not hear at all. We actually would consider that for, for some of us, like, that would be bad news. Like, if you're telling me that, like, the good news that I'm supposed to be excited about now, and that I'm supposed to be amped up for the rest of eternity, is that I get to be with the church, I have some news for you, I'm thinking twice about Jesus now. That is the way that many of us feel, and I'm going to be honest, for some very valid reasons. There's some reasons that many of us feel that way. It's not hard to blame you. It is very easy to point fingers and like, hey, there, there is a reason um, that we feel a certain way about other churches. There's a reason that we feel this way about certain pastors and the way that they've treated us or certain pastors on our staff here or even me, the way that I have intentionally or maybe unintentionally treated you that could actually hurt you and make it sound like bad news. It is, an, it is possible for us to look at Presidents. It is possible for us to look at all sorts of things and think that the idea of being with the church and understanding it as good news for my inheritance is really bad news. And all of that is very, very, very real. And at some point, there, there's this thing where we give ourselves over to like somehow, in a way that I don't fully understand, God does promise to redeem and to restore everything. But I think this is something that we, we do. We sometimes so identify with the pain that we lose sight of the way in which we are also contributing to that. Like there are ways in which we prefer to more fully identify with the pain that something has produced in us than we want to identify with who Jesus is. And what I mean by that is this. Um, if you've heard me talk before, a, a saying that I will say lots is uh, human beings are creatures of overreaction. Human beings are creatures of overreaction. And so this is what we do. We will have an experience and it really hurts me. And so what I do is I will go to the other side of the ditch and I will say, I will never let that thing happen to me ever again. I will not be like that. And what we do is we set up something, and for many of us it's a life, and oftentimes it's a church that is in reaction to something rather than in conviction to something. And what, what it is that we do is that we allow the pain and the wounding to more define the saints than we do like the risen identity of Jesus Christ. And so what it is that we have to do as a church is to actually own, like every church does this, every church reacts to things that have happened and be like, I'm not going to be like that. And actually spend the time to like, who has God clearly called us to be? And to step fully into the conviction of that particular thing. And it is only when we step into the calling to be who God has made us to be in this place and in this time, for such a time as this, will we actually start to believe and experience that the inheritance of the church is good news. As long as we continue to live in reaction to something and be like, I won't be like that, this will always be bad news. It's about identifying more with Jesus, 
identifying more with the power that Jesus gives to heal than with the pain that for so long we have clung to as our primary identity and didn't know that we were. Jesus has come to give freedom. And the church, by and large, is meant to be a place, a very imperfect place, a wildly imperfect place, that embraces the power of that kind of freedom. I've gone off on a tangent. I'm way off my notes. So I'm going to keep going. Chris Lee is smiling in the back because he thought I might be doing that. Okay. I want to go to verse 17. Again, we're going to be in house churches. We're going to be digging into this. Verse 17 is the last one that I want to hit, the last verse. And then I'm going to tell a story. This is what he said, Paul writes in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is a very confusing verse, um, but you may not know that it's confusing. This is what, that, that, that phrase, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, is all one big thing. Like, it is, it's meant to be like a noun, like Doug is a noun. Like, it's talking about something has happened and it produces a spirit. And the spirit that Paul is naming is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so the way that that spirit is produced, if we, if we go to that slide, there's an equation. It looks like this. It's your spirit, which if you're found in Jesus is never going to die. It's the Holy Spirit which is the thing that keeps you from ever dying because you are now found in Christ, you've been raised with him, and your obedience. When you mix those things together, the thing that it produces is this thing called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And wisdom simply means the ability to understand deep spiritual matters. And revelation are the specific insights of those spiritual matters. And a, a way of understanding this, because I recognize this sounds kind of complicated, um, if we, is, a, is a very simple analogy if we want to go to this. How did Spider-Man come to be? Well, it's, it's actually, it's very simple. We needed Peter Parker, we needed a spider to bite Peter Parker, and we needed it to happen with some radiation at the same time. Granted, this is a comic, and we know that this isn't necessarily, well... It's a comic. <laughs> the, thing that that sh- the thing that those three things produce when they're pushed together is Spider-Man. In many, ways, in many ways, what it is that Paul is talking about, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it is, is if you have developed, and I'm using an analogy, it's as if you've developed a very unique superpower. And the, the, the fundamental question in any comic book and the fundamental question in any superhero movie is this. How will you use your power? So you can use your power for good or you can use it for evil. You can use it to build others up or you can use it to build up yourself. You can use it to help other people or you can use it to get the girl. You can use it like on and on. Like there are all these different things that you can do with your power. But in this text... The thing that Paul says that you are to use your power for is very, very clear. That you may know Jesus. Now let's, let's be clear. Let's like push the envelope on this just a little bit further. There are a lot of good things that you could use that superpower for. But the thing that Paul is trying to push more than anything else is this. What's the most important thing? If you could only pick one thing, what would you pick? Would it be justice? 
Would it be putting the world back together? Would it be changing the world? Would it be getting that one relationship that you've always wanted? Would it be getting that particular grade? Would it be getting that relationship back together? Would it be this or that or this or that? Would it be all, or at the top of the list, would it be like, I want to know Jesus. And the only way that that happens is if there is this turbocharged, powerful force within me. Because what Paul says in another letter is like, everything in me wants other things. The only thing that makes me want Jesus more than anything else is that power. Does it work within me? That is the only thing that drives me to want to know Jesus. There are all kinds of reasons to pick other things than wanting to know Jesus more than anything else. Some of us have a desperate need to be right. I am one of those people. Some of us are on a quest to better understand ourselves. And so we we, we play these if-then. If I could just understand myself better, then all the pieces will fit. At the end of the day, the text is like, would you use the power that God has placed within you, that spirit of wisdom and discernment, to know me, to know Jesus? Would that be the thing that we would go after more than anything else? This is, sometimes we don't know how the story ends. And this one, we get a picture 30 years later of what happens. There's There's a letter that pops up in the inbox of the church of Ephesus about 30, 35 years later. And it's from an apostle, not Paul, a man named John. And he's exiled on an island. And his word to the church at Ephesus was this. You have forgotten your first love. And what in the letter, in this little piece of the letter, the thing that he says is like, there are all these things that I should be commending you for. And I do commend you for them. But it's nothing. What is the first commandment? To love the Lord your God. If you don't have that, the rest doesn't matter. Like what Paul writes in the book of Corinthians in the 13th chapter is like, look, if I can speak in the tongues of angels, if I can do this or that or that or that and on and on and on, if I could change time and history and put all the pieces of the world back together, but I don't have love, it's nothing. Nothing. What would it be like for Easton Fellowship, the the defining characteristic of this church is our passionate pursuit of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. More than anything else that we would choose to be known by, that we want to pat ourselves on the back for, or the thing that we just really can't stand about ourselves, but the thing that we would choose to orient ourselves more than anything else is that we are loved by God. And out of the overflow of receiving that love, Lord, I receive your love. We love Jesus in return. And from the overflow of that place and that place only, do we start to look at the second commandment. And so love your neighbor as yourself. What if that was our defining characteristic? There's a story. This is how we'll close our time. If the, uh, the band wants to come back to the stage. There's a story in the book of Luke, and it's about these two men who are walking uh, to a little, a little bitty town. Uh, and it's on the, the heels of a, a really, really tumultuous weekend. Um, there, there is a man uh, who many people had followed, 
And that man had been tried. Um, he had been found guilty, though he was innocent. Uh, and he was crucified, like was very common in that time. Um, and he was buried. And so everyone started to go on their way. But there started to be some rumors that spread. And the rumors, th- th- there, were, there were a number of them, but there were two in particular that stood out. The first was that some people believed that the disciples, the people that followed him, had stolen his body. But other people had started to say, no, there's something else happening. This man was raised from the dead. There are people that have seen him. And so they're talking about this. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a third stranger that pops up. And uh, he walks over to them. He's like, hey, what are, you, uh, what are y'all talking about? He's like, what do you mean what are we talking about? We're talking about the thing that everybody is talking about. This thing that just happened in Jerusalem. And he's like, oh, really? What, what do you mean? So they explain to him. And they're like, you know, we have no idea what it is that's going on. And this third stranger, this guy they've never met before, sort of like kindly rebukes them. And it's like, how, are you, how do you not see that everything in history has been pointing to this moment in time? Everything. And it says that for, for the rest of the walk, this third stranger starts to walk them through all these different passages and to unlock how these passages connect to each other as if a locked door was being opened for the first time and a flood of knowledge starts to come out of it. And they start to see, wait, 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 like maybe this is the one story that we're part of, the story where everything gets put back together and it's centered on this guy that was just killed and might just might be resurrected. The guy is getting ready to leave. They begged him to stay. And so they they have a meal together. They sit at a table. He breaks the bread. He blesses it. And it's like when they open their eyes, they see for the very first time the stranger they've been talking to is Jesus. And then he disappears. Like that, what looks like a, a shuttle poofing through the atmosphere. He's gone. And this is what they say to each other. Were not our hearts burning within us when he unlocked the scriptures and told us about all of these events and how they connected? Brothers and sisters of Easton Fellowship, my prayer is that our hearts would burn with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you know everything there is to know about Jesus I want you to know him. So Paul says, this is what he says in another level, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I don't want to know about Jesus. I want to know him. I want my heart to burn with the experience of the power and the presence that only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose name is above every name, is. That is the one that you have the opportunity to know tonight. That is the one you have the opportunity to spend the entire, the entirety of eternity with. And the good news, Easton Fellowship, is that eternity for you starts tonight. It doesn't start with you die. The good news of Jesus is that when you are resurrected with him, there is a piece of you that will never, ever die. You get to start the journey with Jesus tonight. Do you want to know him? We're going to spend some time in response. Aaron's going to be leading us. 
Uh, we are, we're not going to do the normal prayer teams on the side. Uh, we are going to do a good old-fashioned, there are pillows at the front. It serves as an altar. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to pray to Jesus, if you sense that your heart is burning within you, I invite you to come up and just pray to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, would you unlock the power of the scriptures tonight? Lord, we, we give ourselves to the revelation that the word of God has no power without your Holy Spirit. But you have, you have dispensed it to us tonight. You've given it to us tonight. This is not an ancient text that means nothing. It is an ancient text that means everything. And with the power of the Spirit of God in us and the power of your presence tonight, you are speaking and you are stirring. And so we give ourselves to that tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord God. We put our hope in you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I will remain confident in this, Lord God, that we will see the power of God working on the inside of us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're able, could you stand to your feet in agreement with us? As we dismiss, I'll bless you with these words to depart from Jude 24 through 25. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, to present you faultless, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. If you could stay standing and and worship with this last song with us as we depart. And as you see the chair, things come out as you leave. If you could put your chair up, that would be a great blessing. Get home.